Welcome to Health Matters at Sargent College. The mission of Sargent College is to advance, preserve, disseminate, and apply knowledge in the health and rehabilitation sciences. BU's Sargent College strives to create an environment that fosters critical and innovative thinking to best serve the healthcare needs of society. Each episode of Health Matters at Sargent College will include faculty, students, or alumni who will share their knowledge with you. I'm Karen Jacobs, the Associate Dean of Digital Learning and Innovation at Sargent College, and I'll be your moderator for each episode. Welcome to Health Matters at BU Sargent College. I'm Karen Jacobs. I am the moderator today for this episode. And we have Dr. Boucher, um, who's going to introduce herself. And she's a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Speech, Language, and Hearing Sciences. And it's wonderful to have you. So give us some background, please, about yourself and some of the interesting things that, that you're doing. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me, Karen. It's um, a real pleasure to be with you today. Um, I have been at Sargent now for um, a little over three years. And in that time, um, I've been teaching in the master's program as well as the undergraduate program. And my area of expertise is in speech sound disorders, but I also um, supervise in the clinic. And part of that role, as part of that role, I, I take students out to um, one of the public preschools and we do a tier two level intervention um, that is focused on early literacy development for children who are at risk of developing reading disabilities. Um, so I, I, I mentioned that only because I, I want to talk a little bit about that today. Um, and prior to my position at BU, I worked as a research um, scientist at a educational organization called CAST, which is also relevant because I like to bring in um, the principles of universal design for learning um, as a speech language pathologist. Well, CAST is a term, is a place, uh, an organization that, you know, has been around for a very long time. So you've got, have some wonderful experience from uh, working there. And we're yes. just happy, we're just happy you're at BU now. Oh, thank you. So I want to um, begin by asking a question, and um, it might lead into other, other topics. Um, what can parents do with young children, and I, I'm looking at preschool and kindergartners, to help them with early literacy, um, particularly while they're out of school, which is what's happening right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this, I, I wanted to speak about this topic in particular because I I am feeling the tension um, of being someone who knows how to do, you know, how to tackle these skills at home with their little ones, um, but also feeling the pressure of, of working too. So, so time is a real challenge right now. And, and the wearing of many different hats right now is, is a little bit exhausting and challenging. So I say this with a little bit of a disclaimer that, um, you know, I, you as a parent, there are so many resources circulating right now on the web, on social media, um, anywhere you look, it's like another resource. And, and sometimes you're almost too exhausted to open up the link and read about it. So I say that um, knowing that I, this is yeah, another idea 
But I also want to say it because I think a lot of the ideas that are coming out there are geared towards helping your child with homeschooling, which is usually directed by a teacher. And they're, you know, targeting skills and, and standards, um, you know, that are centrally focused on like K through eight. But if you have a preschooler at home, like I do, I don't really have a curriculum that anyone is sending to me. And I'm only doing things because I know about the background and like some of the things that I should be targeting with him. Um, so I'm trying to think about the things that I can start to just weave into our regular routines and, and our daily activities without too much of um, one, <laughs> pushback from him because um, he's clever. He'll, he'll know when I'm trying to do something with him, um, but also that isn't so consuming, you know, time consuming or too much of a workload for me. So it's just like simple things that I can work into like mealtime or bath time. Um, that's great because we are hearing a lot about this, um, particularly on um, different listservs uh, that we're um, occupational therapists, speech, um, physical therapists, anybody in healthcare, and teachers, of course, are trying to figure out, you know, how do we interact? And yet, we've got our, our own children and, um, and jobs, too, that mm -hmm. are demanding. So what are some of the things that you might be doing at mealtime or bath time that you could share um, that others might find uh, helpful tips? Yeah, so I'll, I'll just separate it into two major categories. So if you're thinking about early literacy skills, you can think about it in terms of phonological awareness and letter knowledge. So phonological awareness simply stated is just the idea that it, you are um, aware of the sounds in, in your own language. It doesn't have anything to do with meaning or vocabulary. It just means that I am able to think about and reflect upon the sounds. So I, I, I could be thinking about rhyme. I could be thinking about the first sound in words. I could be thinking about all of the sounds in the word and blend, blending them together or pulling them apart. Um, and then letter knowledge includes um, being able to identify letters, name the letters, um, and then eventually map the sounds onto letters. So I'll just break it down by age group because it is a continuum of skills. So what we expect of three-year-olds is very different from what we would expect from a five-year-old, even though there's you know, only two years difference there. Um, so with three-year-olds, three, four-year-olds, three, four we're really looking at things like rhyming. And you can incorporate rhyming play throughout your day in many different ways. So you, I would say just be silly with it. Um, they'll start to just pick it up naturally if, if, you know, they're, if you get their attention with it and they're playful with it. So we do lots of songs like Down by the Bay and Willoughby Wallaby. If you search, you know, rhyming songs, there, there's so many of those, but those are our favorite. Um, you can do things with puppets. And if you, if you have like play food around, one of you can take turns feeding the puppet or the monster or whatever you have around. And, um, if you're the puppet, you can get your child to ask, you know, what would the puppet like to eat? And maybe the child says something like, would you like some cookies? And your puppet says, no, I want some zookies. And just be really silly with it and playful with it and just make a rhyme for everything they offer and just show them that it's fun and silly. And eventually they'll probably start to chime in with their own rhymes for food. And so you could do that just during play. You could do that during mealtime. Um, but the idea is to just be a little absurd and they should, they should start to catch on and, and play with you there. 
But four-year-olds start to take a turn um, in terms of their skills and they can do even more complex things like ask them to listen to the first sound in a word. So if the word was something like boat, I would ask my child to say, hmm, what's the first sound in the word boat? And I would hope that they would say, buh. And if they didn't, I might give them a choice and say something like, um, hmm, is it buh or t? Something very different. Not like a p sound, but if I'm going to give them a choice, I'm going to make it very different. And if they don't get it, that's okay. I'll just say, oh, it's the, it's the sound buh. Let's say it together, buh. And then I could like write out, write on paper or a chalkboard or whatever you have in front of you, two or three letters and say, which one, which letter says the sound buh? And if, again, if they don't get it, you could cover one up, cover up one of the options, or you could just you know, give them the answer right away. So it's just, it's not meant to be a test. It's just meant to be playful. Um, sometimes my husband and I do this at dinner and my three-year-old doesn't, He's, he's three and a half. Um, so I just do these games with him, even though he's a little bit young for them. Um, and sometimes he knows, so he doesn't, he's a little bit reluctant. He's stubborn like that. So he'll just either be really silly or ignore us completely. But my husband and I will do it. And that's fine because I know that he's listening and eventually he will start to chime in. And even if he doesn't, I know that he's just, he's, he is cluing in, he's checking in and I, I think that just that exposure is valuable too. Um, Four-year-olds, you can also start to work on name writing. If they haven't already in preschool, that's something you can introduce very basic things like, you know, all uppercase, give them a model to follow. You could even do it in shaving cream. You could do it in foam that you make from, you know, the, the dishwasher, um, the dishwashing fluid that you had, the liquid, not the, for the dishwasher, but for the dishes. Um, you can make foam with that and water and um, they can write in that. Um, for five-year-olds, this is where things can get a little bit more, um, even more advanced and, and really fun. So at five years old, we really can start to see them now to blend sounds together. So if you give them sounds that are separated, individual sounds, and we're not talking about using letters here, just the sounds. It's just a mental activity. And if I say to them, hmm, what can you guess the word that this makes? B-O-T. Right? And then we want them to say boat. Right? And, and you can just keep giving them words. Keep them simple. Single syllable words start with consonant, vowel, consonant words. So C-V-C words, like in the word boat, even though it's spelled with four letters, right? The sounds. Are ju there's just three sounds. So stick with three sounds. You can increase it later if they really get the hang of it. You can do words with four sounds with consonant clusters at the beginning, like in the word plate, or you could do a consonant cluster at the end like mask. Um, but those are much harder. So once they get the hang of CVC, then you can kind of increase it. Um, and then at the top level of this hierarchy of skills, Ideally, you want them to do the inverse of what you are doing. You want them to be able to break apart the sounds. So if I said, hmm, what are all the sounds in the word boat? I would want them to say b-o-t. And so you can, you can do that if you're taking a walk, you know, and you see something like a rock. You can say, hmm, what are all the sounds in the word rock? 
right? Or you might find a stick, or you can do it in the bath. Um, but again, just keep it simple words. And you don't need to do a lot of words at once, even just exposing them to this, you know, once a week with just a handful of words can really make a difference. It's just tuning them into the sounds of the language so that they get ready to use that skill set for later reading and spelling. These were fabulous. Um, I was taking notes for myself. I don't have a, a grandchild that young, but we have a new one coming um, oh. in, in June. So I was thinking it's a little early for some of these things. <laughs> um, but they're, they're great. And I was um, reading recently, a friend um, is helping to uh, raise their grandchild. And um, the child is about the same age as, as your, your son. And um, she was using stickers, um, being oh. silly. Um, yeah. And that the silliness, I think, um, is really helpful. Putting on a silly hat, maybe you mentioned. I think um, telling a joke or reading a joke or having the, the child come up with a with a, a joke as well, and, and that's so reinforcing um, that playfulness because they'll want more. Yes, it is, and it's it's hard to be silly sometimes, especially right now when you are tired, and you know we're 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 trying to. Um, do so many things during the day right now in these you know really strange times. It's hard to like find the energy to be silly, but if if you can just find that little nugget of energy, um, I find that once I get silly, you know they want to be silly, and so it, it helps if I can just tuck a little bit of time away to make sure that we do have some playful moments, and then I can make them meaningful. Sometimes they're not, sometimes they're just purely silly and that's fine too. But if I can work in something, you know, even just once a week, I feel like, okay, I can tackle, I can tackle this, I can do this. Um, and then it just makes that time together even more meaningful. And I can feel like, like I've accomplished something that maybe he would have learned in school right now. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really important. And you're balancing, you know, being um, a um, assistant professor, being in the clinic, um, being a mom, being, you know, all these different roles like so many other people. One thing that I, I'd love you to talk about, because I'm not sure everybody knows what teletherapy is mm -hmm. um, for speech, language, and, and hearing sciences professionals. Um, could you talk about that? Um, because that's become now, it was, it was um, available prior to this, but now it's become really the, the mode that we're using telehealth technology. Yes, yes, and it has been a learning curve. So you're right, teletherapy has been around for over 10 years. I'm sure longer, but I know at least 10 years. Uh, and it's, it was primarily developed so that um, it addressed the shortage of practitioners. And in our field in speech language pathology, there are places where there is a, a real shortage. Um, so you might have an SLP in a more urban area reaching out to children who don't have uh, providers out in more rural areas. Um, so that was the primary use. Um, and now, and, and people really like, that's, that's their thing. That is their specialty and that's all they do. And now everybody is doing it. And so it has been a real learning curve um, because I, well, for a few reasons. One, because what we do is so personal, right? It's so, it's so much about the human experience being in, in the same room with another human, 
sharing materials with them and and giving them feedback and all of those subtleties in and how they do with a particular activity that you're doing with them you you need to see them really up close and that's been a real challenge because there's yes i can see them but you can feel that physical distance so figuring out how to and and i do this we do this with children right so it's even more challenging just to like get them to stay in their seat <laughs> um we've been trying to figure out what have we been doing face to face that we can convert easily to this new space and so a lot of that means taking the physical activity the physical materials that we would have like cut up or laminated or um, you know put around the room we've been doing a lot in powerpoint and doing materials that we can manipulate move around and show um, but it's it's um it's we're learning as we go we're now in week four or five and i have to give credit to my graduate students they're just remarkable in the way they've adapted and been innovative in a very short amount of time it's wonderful and you know we're seeing this happening all over uh, the country and actually around the world um, where health professionals are delivering their services and their assessments um, through telehealth technology. One last thing I, I don't want to be remiss um, in asking because you have been designing uh, flexible learning environments to support meaningful classroom participation for children with communication differences through the use of universal design for learning. And once the children are back in the physical school environment, that's going to be so important. Can you just spend, you know, maybe another minute or so telling us a, a bit about that? Sure. Um, so when I was a, when I was at CAST, I was really thinking about this in terms of how we were building um, tools that were you know, in a digital space. So how, how I really wore my speech pathologist hat then and asked, okay, well, if let's say I have a speech sound disorder and you're asking me to do speech to text in this tool, how is that going to impact me, right? So those considerations I, I would try to bring to the table because speech to text would have been like a great tool for someone who might have uh, difficulties with writing, but it's gonna present a as a barrier for someone else with a different disability or disorder or, or challenge. So, um, so I think about, I used to think about that in terms of the digital space when I worked at CAS, but now I think about it just in terms of meaningful participation as some, something as simple as, you know, when we, when we ask students in a classroom to contribute by raising their hand, I think about how vulnerable we, we put those children in a position of, of vulnerability, let's say, right? So if I have a speech sound disorder or a language disorder where I'm having a, a really hard time formulating sentences that are coherent and make sense, or I have a speech sound disorder and I, I make coherent sentences, but I'm really hard to understand because I have so many sound substitutions. What do we do about those children? How do we get them to a place where they feel comfortable and confident in contributing to meaningful conversations and discussions in the classroom? Um, and I don't have all the answers yet, but I think about offering, I work, I'm currently working with some teachers to think about how we might give those students different opportunities to contribute, whether it's maybe pairing up with another student instead of the big class first, like we do in the college classroom, right? We do like a pair and share. So can we do that more so that they don't feel as vulnerable? Um, can we get them to maybe um, draw out something that they want to contribute and then have someone be with them to 
you know, either formulate the sentence together or perhaps, um, you know, help them with their speech sounds to say it correctly. Um, so it's, it's, it's no, it's a huge challenge. It's not a small thing to think about, but I'm constantly trying to think about um, how do we support those children because they do so well in our therapy room, but then they go back to the general classroom. And I think um, so many, so much of the instruction is, is geared towards, um, you know, children who are able and ready to communicate. And that's not the case for all children. Well, thank you so much. That was so interesting. And I, I think many people are going to come away with so, so many um, strategies that they can use at home um, and once their child is in the classroom as well. So I want to thank you so much for being on Health Matters. This was a wonderful episode. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Karen. It was a delight.